0: Well, if you would take your Bibles with me and return in them to our study of Romans chapter 12. I want to begin our time this morning by reading for us verses 1 to 8. Please follow along as I read. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God... To present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to every man among you not to think more highly of himself, then he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, Let each exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. You Bow with me for a word of prayer. Father, we... Dedicate this time to you as we open your word together, as we spend our time thinking about the realities of what we are hearing here, as it has implications for our lives right here, right now. We ask that you would open our hearts to receive these things for what they are the words of you, the word of God, and not the words of men. Help us to evaluate our own lives and where. We need to put these things into practice and help us to be changed into the image of Christ as we submit ourselves to you. That we pray in Christ's name. Amen. A few days ago, I woke up with a reality on my mind that I am sure most of us, if not all of us, do not normally have on our minds when we wake up. But this was on my mind as I woke up, and it was this, that each and every person wakes up each and every day as a slave. Each and every person wakes up each and every day as a slave. I know that Slave terminology can bring into our minds all kinds of pictures that may or may not influence our view of the word, but that does not change the reality of what I have just proclaimed. Each and every one of us woke up this morning as someone who is owned and ruled by a greater master. The Bible tells us that depending on your relationship to God, depending on where you stand by way of that relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you are either owned by sin or you are owned by righteousness. Those are the ultimate two masters, both sin and And righteousness are representative of domains, or representative of kingdoms, if you will. And those domains are ruled by an ultimate ruler. The domain of sin is being ruled by the prince of the power of the air, Ephesians 2 tells us. And that is simply another title for Satan himself. The domain of sin is ruled by Satan. And the domain of righteousness is being ruled by the one who is absolute righteousness. And that is God. And the one who we know to be one God in three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all equal in divine essence. One God, yet manifest, and in reality, three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And so each and every one of us woke up this morning either a slave of the domain of sin or a slave of the domain of righteousness. Now I bring that up simply to say and for us to realize that no one is free. No person is free. We hear a lot about freedom, especially in our own country, and that freedom is at best a limited freedom. Because even freedom has its boundaries. In other words, no one is free to do whatever they want to do. Even under our system of supposed and bounded freedom in our country, we are not free to simply do whatever we want to do. But what I am really referring to, and more importantly referring to, is that because the slavery that we are under, all of us, every human being, because of the slavery that we are under, this slavery that I am talking about is the very thing that dictates just how you and I are to live in any place on this planet. It doesn't matter what country you live in. The slavery that I'm speaking about is that which dictates the very flow of our lives. So if you woke up today as a slave of sin, then it is sin that dictates your life. It is sin that dictates the actions of your life. No matter how good those actions of your life may look in comparison to other slaves in that domain on this earth, it's sin that is running your life. You are a slave of sin. And so if you woke up this morning a slave of sin, then you woke up with the desire to please yourself. You woke up this morning with the desire to have your desires fulfilled. And you woke up this morning striving in all things for your likings and your wants and your aspirations. And life, whereby you have been convinced, and we could add by your own deception, which is a consequence of your slavery to sin, you woke up by way of your own deception, convinced that you are actually doing pretty good with your life. And because you are deceived, you don't even think you're a slave. You think you just go through life doing what you want, that you're free and you do what you do because it's a choice of yours and it's part of your life and you just move along. You're deceived that you're even a slave. And yet if you woke up this morning as a slave of righteousness, then it was because a new master has bought you from the slave market of sin. He has paid a high price for you so that now you have been removed from the domain of sin. You have been taken out. In fact, the Bible says that he has transferred you from the domain of sin into the domain of righteousness. And now you are a slave of a new master. And therefore, as you woke up this morning, you have a true freedom to now have the desire of your new master on your mind, the desire of your new master on your heart. And so while you have been set free from the slave market of sin, you are not free to do whatever you want to do. You are not free to go back to the old master. You are not free to just simply let it all go and live as you used to live. You are now a slave of righteousness. And your life is now, therefore, to reflect the reality of the new owner. To reflect the reality of this new ownership over your life. The Bible declares when we were bought from the slave market of sin that our new owner didn't just purchase us, but he also gave us a new center of controlling desire. The Bible describes it as a new heart. You were given a new heart. The very inner you, not the blood pumping organ in the midst of your chest, but a new you, a new spirit. A complete change of the desire. And so when you woke up this morning, not only were you under new ownership, but you yourself were new. You were new. You were a new creature in Christ. He didn't just By you, but he changed you and you no longer love the things that you used to love. You no longer desire to live for self. But you're finding out as you woke up this morning, as you have woken up every morning since you believed in Jesus Christ, you are finding out that this new position of slave under this new master comes with some very difficult realities. One of those realities is that those who used to be with you together under the old master, they no longer like you anymore. They no longer want to be around you anymore. They think you actually are some kind of weird person now. And in reality, you are. You are weird in comparison to them. They're in a whole different domain. You're outside that domain. You're not ruled by that domain anymore. So yes, in one sense, according to their definition, you are weird. But There's another reality, and that reality is that the things that were pleasurable to you before continue to call for you. They continue to to speak from over the fence, if you will, from the other domain calling for you. They want you to come back. They want you to still play with them. They want you not to leave them. And so you are finding that living for this new master is not so easy here. Here. It's not so easy here as you are sojourning away from your new heavenly home. It seemed easy before. It seemed easy before under the old master. All you had to do is live for yourself. All you had to do is get up and do whatever you wanted to do. All you had to do was seek the things that made you happy. All the things that brought you pleasure. That's all you had to do. That was Easy. But now, staying away from all of that is work. Takes great effort. And sometimes, if you're honest, you look with pleasure at the easy way. Sometimes, even now that you're living in the domain of righteousness, you look over the fence and you look with pleasure. Because it looks so easy over there. Why? Because sin is easy. Sin is easy. I don't have to work at sinning. Your little children don't have to work at sinning. You don't have to teach them to sin. Sin is easy. And that alone should make us realize just how devastating sin is. Sin is so easy. Sin is easy, and sin leads us in the way of stupidity. That's what it does. But living for our new owner takes effort. It's hard to live righteously. Why? Because sin's tempting us from over the fence, especially when we are the ones trying to produce righteousness. You see, beloved, this has been what the Apostle Paul has been dealing with throughout our study of the book of Romans. Each and every person is a slave. And it's only through faith in Jesus Christ, it's only because of the price Jesus paid with His own life, that we can be eternally secure under His ownership and thereby be equipped for living as we have been created to live to the honor and the glory of our new owner in the freedom of righteousness. You see, before, under the slavery of sin, we only desired our glory, we desired our honor. But now, under our new master, we are to live for His glory. Our life is to be dedicated and driven toward and reflective of that reality. It's for His glory, and we have been equipped to do that. The Bible tells us that's all to the praise of the glory of His grace. And that is what Paul has been exhorting us about here in chapter 12. How we live... In such a way that is for our new master, how we live in the way of righteousness. And the place to start, he says, is by offering ourselves to him. Remember what verse one said? I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God to present your bodies, a living and holy sacrifice. This is key. This is key to righteous living every day. This is key for us as Christians, those who profess Jesus Christ by faith, those who actually have been transferred from the domain of sin, the master of slavery of sin, to the domain of righteousness under a new master. This is key. So this morning as Christians, we need to wake up with that on our mind. We need to wake up with the reality that we are slaves of righteousness, and therefore, I must be presenting myself to God. We must wake up with the mindset that whatever it is that God, my new master, wanted for me through the situations of my life in the current moment, at the current time, of the current day, and throughout the current weeks to come, I want to, in that, offer myself to Him in it. This is the domain of righteousness. Righteousness. So, do you desire to know what it is that God requires of you as a Christian? Do you want to understand what is acceptable to God? Do you want to successfully fight against the temptations of the old master? Then as a Christian be continually relinquishing yourself to God as a willing and pure offering. In other words, let go of your stronghold on yourself. Let go of the stronghold that you have for yourself, that you have for your own desires, that you have for your own wants, that you have for your own aspirations, that you have for your own stuff. Relinquish your hold on that. Relinquish your hold on your very life. Relinquish all of it to your new master to be used at his disposal. Because whatever is happening with your life today, right now, as a Christian, whatever is going on at this very moment in your very life, as you woke up today and began your day, is as the Lord would have it. This is as the Lord would have it, this kingdom, this king of righteousness would have for you right now that you would be conformed to the image of his son. That means if God is removing something from your very life, some stuff that you're holding on to, God is removing and rooting out of you some attitude within you that you continue to hold to because it's right for you in your own mind to feel that way, or because God is doing whatever it is to to show you and complete you into Christ-likeness, relinquish that to God and present yourself to Him as an offering. A living sacrifice. Now that's not easy to do. Experientially, we know the difficulty of that reality, don't we? Our wants, our desires, all the vestiges of our sinful past, all the things that that we've known so well and we played so well with are right there. They're just on the other side of the fence. And that continually says it's a whole lot easier this way. It's a whole lot easier this way. Let's do it this way. But we can offer ourselves to God. We can offer ourselves to God by not letting our thinking of the old domain, by not letting the domain of sin, the domain of the world, by not letting it conform us to its ways. That's what verse 2 says. Don't be conformed. That means don't let it conform you, don't let it shape you, don't let it mold you, don't let that kind of thinking become your kind of thinking. The easy way is to be conformed to the world. That's the easy way. Why? I don't have to do anything. I just sit back and let it conform me. I sit under the constant rain of that kind of philosophy of thinking and sin, and I will simply become like it. What happens? But as a Christian, I'm not to allow myself to be conformed to the world if and when my thinking, my mind, and I will not allow myself to do that. We could even say in my heart, my inner person, when my heart is completely challenged by God's thinking. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, it becomes easier to offer myself as a sacrifice to my new master when I allow his thinking to saturate my being. It becomes easier to relinquish the stranglehold that I have on the things of myself, my desires, attitudes, aspirations, stuff, whatever it is. It becomes easier to relinquish that when I'm saturated with the thinking of my master, the thinking of the one whom I'm supposed to be conformed to, that he is conforming me into the likeness of. It becomes easier to put off Those things, so that when I think like He thinks, then I know what His will is, and then I begin to do His will. I begin to embrace the reality that today is as the Lord would have it, that this very moment... That this very attack against me or this very reality of which I am having to let go and really relinquish and God is removing from me whatever it is, attitude or thing or possession or something, that that is exactly as he would have it. So this is how our new slavery is worked out. This is how we are slaves under our new master. We relinquish ourselves to the full control of our new master. Now, how is that renovation of our minds going to happen? And where is this change exercised? Well, Paul tells us here that it's exercised in all of life, of course, and we're going to get to that more and more as we go on through this, these final chapters of this great epistle. But the first place, the first place that we should see this being worked out is in the church. The first place that we see this relinquishing, this exercise of saying, okay, Lord, I'm just yours. Use me, do whatever, crush my my attitudes, crush my pride, whatever it is that you must do in order for me to be like Christ, you do that, and you do that in the body. Do that with me in the body. If we're going to exercise ourselves unto, and if our exercise is going to be unto the glory and honor of our new master, then that's going to mean that we are like our new master. And that means that we are living in the realm of humility. Paul says in verse 3, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Now it's curious to me, as I read through the Scriptures and I've read this a hundred times, it's curious to me that Paul would even have to say that to Christians. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, Christian. Why would he have to say that? Because listen, Christian, listen, the slave of Christ, as a slave of Christ, don't be hyper-minded about yourself. Why would he have to say that? Because the tendency is to be hyper-minded about ourselves. The tendency is for us to go, yeah, I'm doing pretty good. If everybody else would just get on my level, things would be great. This new kingdom life that I have, this new reality, this, this domain of righteousness that I'm walking in would be a great place if everyone else would get as righteous as I am. That's what we do. We were rescued out of the world of hypermindedness. by the way. We were rescued out of the promote self at all cost world. And it's easy for us to fall back into that. And so we need this constant reminder. We need somebody to tell us, hey, listen, brother, don't be thinking so highly of yourself. We need each other to say that to one another. Especially when it comes to being co-equal slaves, because that's what we are. Because our temptation is to promote self. Our temptation is to promote our desire being lifted up. I want others to see me great. That's our temptation. Pat me on the back. Give me the accolades. Give me the praise. Point me out. Paul says that's not humility. That's not humility. That doesn't reflect our new master at all. What reflects him is sound judgment about yourself sound judgment about yourself, that you are what you are because of grace, because grace was lavished upon you by our new master. In other words, you are what you are by way of your new salvation, by way of being in the domain of righteousness. You are what you are by way of that and also by way of your giftedness within that domain only because of grace. That's why we're here. We are simply trophies of grace. The only reason any of us are in the kingdom of righteousness, the only reason that any of us have any place and any need in the body is because of undeserved grace. Therefore, remember that principle when you wake up every day. Remember that principle when you wake up in the morning And the one whom you say you love and the one whom says they love you begins to irritate you. Remember, you are in the kingdom of righteousness because of grace. Therefore, relinquish yourself. Relinquish yourself. Because your desires only matter as much as they honor and glorify Christ. And it is He, through His word who has already made that determination as to what glorifies him. He's already made it. So when we take that principle in our minds and we bring it into the gathering of the church, we have to remember that we what we have is through grace. Who we are is because of grace. And we've been gifted by our new master, not for ourselves, but for the group. Remember the principles we've been talking about? Grace is the overriding principle which drives us into humility. We understand we're of grace, and we understand we've been gifted not for ourselves, but for the group. Now think about this again with me, because in our old domain, in the domain of sin, under the old master, under the the mastership of the prince of the power of the air, the one who is working in sons of disobedience, as Ephesians 2 says, of which we all were part of, He wanted us to live for ourselves. That's what He wanted. Which actually is really living for Him. That's what it is. He wanted us to desire our own building up. He wanted us to desire our own achievements. Why? Because that reflects Him. That's exactly what He is. That's exactly how He thinks back, go back to Isaiah for a moment, chapter 14, just to let me read this in our ears, Isaiah chapter 14, obviously Isaiah is is talking really about the millennial kingdom, what is to come when Christ will rule the earth and all those who are his will, will serve him there for a thousand years. And he's talking about who's behind all this rebellion. Verse 1, he begins, When the Lord will have compassion on Jacob and again choose Israel, and settle them in their own land, then strangers will join them and attach themselves to the house of Jacob. So we understand the timing of this. This is when God returns to rule. There's peace on the land. Sin isn't totally vanquished in the sense that Satan hasn't been completely thrown into the lake of fire. He's in being bound for a thousand years. And the peoples will take them along and bring them to their place and the house of Israel will possess them as an inheritance in the land of the Lord as male servants and female servants and they will take their captives, captors captive and will rule over their oppressors. It will be in the day when the Lord gives you rest from your pain and turmoil and harsh service in which you have been enslaved, that you will take up this taunt against the king of Babylon and say, how the oppressor has ceased and how fury has ceased. The Lord has broken the staff of the wicked, the scepter of rulers, which used to strike the people in fury with unceasing strokes, which subdued the nations in anger with unrestrained persecution. The whole earth is at rest and is quiet. They break forth into shouts of joy. Even the cypress trees rejoice over you and the cedars of Lebanon saying, since you were laid low, no tree cutter comes against us. Sheol from beneath is excited over you to meet you when you come. It arouses for you the spirits of the dead, all the leaders of the earth. It raises all the kings of the nations from their thrones, and they will re- all respond and say to you, "Even you have been weak as we; you have become like us. You, your pomp and the music of your harps have been brought down to Sheol. Maggots are spread out and of your bed ben- uh, out as your bed beneath you, and worms are your covering." Oh, you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, sun of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations. See, he's talking about the oppressors of Israel first and what's behind that, Satan himself. So so it's a picture of the whole thing. Satan's really the one doing this, the fallen star from heaven. You said in your heart, verse 13, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you And they will ponder over you, saying, Is this the man who made the earth tremble? Is this the one who shook kingdoms, who made the world like a wilderness and overthrew its cities, who did not not allow its prisoners to go home? All the kings of the nations lie in glory, each in his own tomb. But you have been cast out of your tomb like a rejected branch, clothed with the slain who are pierced with a sword, who go down to the stones of the pit like the trampled corpse. You'll be united with them in burial because you have ruined your country. You have slain your people. May the offspring of evildoers not be mentioned. Forever. It's a pretty vivid picture of the kingdom of the domain of darkness and the king of the domain of darkness. This is his heart. This is his attitude. This is his love, a desire for self, a desire to be elevated, a desire to actually be God. You see, this is the attitude of all those under his slavery The attitude of self-exaltation, the attitude of self, self self-promotion, not the attitude of being spent for the whole, not the attitude of giving self so that others would be lifted up. The offering of oneself for the master, that's not his attitude. And Paul says, you may, in the church, Romans chapter 12, we may be individuals, but we are equipped not for us. We're equipped not for us. We're equipped for the whole, verses 4 and 5, just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individual members of one another. You ever think of your other fellow brothers and sisters in the kingdom of righteousness like that, that they are members of you? That they're not just other members of the body, but you together with them as members of the body are members of one another. So that what you do or what you do not do affects them personally and individually as much as it affects the whole. You see, we must not and cannot escape the implications of these two verses. We cannot. For all of us who claim to know Jesus Christ as our Savior, the implications here are this, that none of us are independent actors. None of us are independent. None of us can live and grow independent of the others. Not only are we personally necessary for their growth and for the proper functioning of the body as a whole, but the whole body is also necessary for our growth and our proper functioning in the body. Therefore, we cannot overestimate our importance, nor can we underestimate our importance. Each one of us is equally important and each one of us is necessary for the whole. And so we must offer ourselves to our new master. We must offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to the master. We must continue to have our minds renovated by his thinking. We must continually be saturated in in how he thinks and how he speaks and how he determines. And and we find that right here. It's sitting on your lap. It's on your electronic device. It's the word of God. We have to remember that we are here because of grace. Therefore, we cannot operate independent of others. We are not our own show. We are not our own entity. We are necessary to each other, and God has specifically gifted us for use in the growth of all the rest. And so the Apostle Paul says in verse 6, notice, and since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, that phrase really sums up verses 4 and 5 since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. In other words, the variety of our giftedness, as it is exercised, reveals an organic unity that is unmistakable to everyone that sees this body. Both those inside and those outside realize there's something different about them. There's something that reflects the true reality of Jesus Christ, the true nature, the true idea of being conformed to the image of Christ because that's how Christ was. And when we operate that way, that organic unity is unmistakable. It's unmistakable that we no longer belong to the old domain, slaves of the domain of sin, but that we belong to the domain of righteousness, and God is in charge, and we are needed. In other words, the church is a living and functioning unity that others see. It's interesting when you think of the church that way, you have to conclude that the church is an organism, not an organization. Because the church functions as an organic unity, the reality is that we are an organism and not an organization. We are not mechanical. We are living. Mechanical things are dead things. You can do things with mechanical things. But one thing you cannot do with mechanical things is you cannot make them alive. They are machines. You cannot make them alive? I find it interesting today that there are machines that they say have artificial intelligence. I love that. Artificial intelligence. We hear the term "machine learning. Machine learning. Well, in the truest sense of the words, intelligence that is artificial is simply to say that it's not real intelligence. Isn't it? It's artificial. I mean, we have artificial trees. That's not real. It's artificial. And therefore, machines don't learn. Machines only do what they are programmed to do by their maker. So with a computer, you can put information in it. You can click a button and you get results. And you can put in it algorithms that will appear to be as if that machine is learning something by way of how it's taking those algorithms and adding them up and taking the result of that adding up and adding it to the algorithm that it has. So it appears as if it's learning, but it's not learning. It's only doing what it's programmed to do. It's not intelligence at all. It's artificial. It's fake. You punch a button, you get a result. That's not thought, nor is that the result of learning. And so we can conclude that the massive difference between the body, and when you think about this in our physical body, the massive difference between our physical body and a machine is that your physical body is living. It is living. And inherent to your living is an organic unity in all of the parts. That's a picture of the church. It's an organism. It's an organism that was created by God to do something. The question is, what is that something that we are to do? What is that something? Well, the Apostle Paul told Timothy this, 1 Timothy 3, that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth. And what Paul means by that is that the church's function as a body is to be a kind of foundation stone and anchor of truth. As a body, we are to be a foundation and anchor of truth. In other words, we are... We are a billboard, if you will. We're, we're a sign. We're a large sign to the world of what truth actually is. And boy, is our world confused. They are confused as to what truth is. All over the place, there's confusion. We see it every day. This is why we preach the gospel here. This is why we do what we do here. That's why we stand on the doctrinal foundation that the Word of God is absolute truth. That's why we do that, because that's what we are. We're the ground, pillar, and ground of the truth. We stand on it, we hold to it, we proclaim it, we are billboards for it. So when the world outside looks at us, they go, man, we want answers, and we go, we got them. We got them. You don't get to decide what gender you are. God did. You don't get to decide just how your sexual orientation goes. God did. That's the truth. We don't have to be confused by it. It's not confusing at all. God has made it very clear. It's not artificial intelligence. That is artificial intelligence. To say, I can choose whatever I want. I can self-identify as anything I want. I've jokingly said to the leadership, I'd love to go into my bank and self-identify as a debt-free person. They're not going to choose it. They're not going to accept it. Sorry. Paperwork says you're not. But I have a birth certificate that says I was born this way, but I'm self-identifying as a different. Sorry, the paperwork says you're not, and God says you're not. More important. I can self-identify as a debt-free person all I want, and the bank is going to come and take my home if I don't pay the bill. This is why we preach the gospel. Listen, we take this function seriously. And we work hard to uphold it, not only as a body, but as an individual within the body so it's not just the whole that is important. It's every part that's involved that ought to be functioning in that way. This is why Peter said in 1 Peter 2, nine, you are a chosen race. He's just quoting from Exodus. He's quoting from Exodus. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Why? Why? Why God? Why did you choose me? Why did you make me this way? Why did you transfer me from the domain of sin into the domain of righteousness? Why? Why should I do this? Because this is what I said to you, so that you would proclaim the excellencies of me. So that by your life, by your proclamation, by your sacrifice as a living sacrifice to me, you would be a billboard. You would be a proclamation of my excellencies, the one who called you out of darkness into light. That's why we function as a church. That's why we're here. That's why we do this. And that's the same function individually as it is for the church as a whole. We uphold the truth by proclaiming the truth, not just in our words, but in our actions. Paul says, this is how you need to see yourself within the body. This is how you must use your gifts in the body. Verses six through eight. If prophecy, according to your proportion of faith. If service, in serving. If teaching, in your teaching. If exhortation, in your exhorting. One who gives with liberality. He's not just talking about general giving, by the way. He's talking about the gift. Some of us are more equipped to be able to give in ways that others couldn't give in their entire lifetime. God has graced you with, with monetary means and ways of giving that others couldn't give. Some of us have the gift of exhortation. Some of us have the gift of teaching. And those are two different things. Teaching means you've got to learn. Exhortation is application. It's, it's applying it. Service, that's just a gift of helps. Helps. One who leads, do it with diligence. If you show mercy, do it with cheerfulness. You see, here's what simply what Paul's saying. You've been gifted. This isn't a comprehensive list of the gifts, that's for sure. We could go to 1 Corinthians 12 like I read, read from 12. Chapter 12 to chapter 14, we'd get a greater expense and understanding of the spiritual gifts, but spiritual gifts are varied in many. But you've been gifted. You've been gifted. And the idea is that you have been gifted, therefore, you cannot simply sit idle. That's the idea. If you're offering yourself as a living sacrifice, if you're presenting yourself to the one who rules you, the new master who owns you now, then offer yourself just as God has commanded you. You can't sit idle. You can't not do what God has gifted you to do while all the other parts are operative. You have to be operative as well. Doesn't matter what it is. Prophecy helps, teaching, exhortation, giving, mercy. In other words, we must be organic participants. Organic participants. Why? Because we've been equipped to do so, we have been gifted. We must hand ourselves completely over to God. We must not be conformed in our thinking to the thinking of the world, the way we used to think as slaves of that kind of thing, but rather be renovated in our thinking with God's mind. We have to think biblically and get, an, and get to upholding the truth with our lives. Adorning the gospel, as we said a few weeks ago. So what do we do? What do we do? We renounce self, renounce the self-life, which is a worldly life. And we begin to think of ourselves and all that we do in terms of our relationship to our new master. To this new relationship we have through Jesus Christ who is now ruling us. And therefore, in humility, we live in the church, not independently of everybody else, but vitally active for the growth of everybody. I do what I do, you do what you do, so that the whole body is built up, so that the whole body is strengthened. We sincerely exercise our gifts that we have been given through the grace of God when He saved us. But Paul's saying. And whatever that gift might be, Paul says, exercise it with all your might. Exercise it with all your might. Part of that is having others help you understand what your gift might be. Some say, I don't know what my gift is. Have you asked others? Ask others, what do you see in me? How do you see me useful? Because some gifts need confirmation. Some gifts need affirmation. Some gifts need to be affirmed by the whole, right? You're an elder in the church. You can't just go, hey, listen, I believe I'm gifted with eldership. I'm going to go be an elder. No, that doesn't work like that. Why? Because God's not a God of chaos. God has set in place the means for which we can identify those things, So you cannot just stand up one day and go, hey, listen, I believe I have the gift of teaching. I'm going to teach somewhere. You can't do that. You can't do that. That has to be affirmed. That has to be confirmed and affirmed. Why? Because the level of destruction that happens if that happens. Chaos everywhere. That's why the charismatic church is in such chaos all the time. People standing up, people doing all kinds of things, rolling in the aisles, barking like dogs, saying all kinds of weird stuff. hey, God gifted me. So don't be looking at others for accolades. Don't be looking at others for praise. Simply look to Christ. Look to your new master. You're a slave. And look to the benefit of the whole all of us together, one body, together as a body, of which each person is vital and necessary. If we do that, if we will do that individually, then the world can't help but see Christ in our proclamation and in our unity. They won't help but see that because it'll reflect Christ, we'll be conformed to the image of Christ. Christ only did the will of the father. Even when, even when that cost him his very life. We're all slaves. The question is, question is which master is ruling you? Which master is ruling you? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time this morning. Thank you for the challenge this could be to our very lives and our hearts. Thank you for the joy that we find in Christ, for the joy that we find in simply serving you. When we let go, when we don't have such a grip on the things of our life, our own attitudes, our Whatever it is, you have brought about and orchestrated every detail for your glory, for your honor, and you have clearly commanded us what our role is, simply to offer ourselves to you, relinquish, think like you think, and operate within your kingdom as we have been gifted for the benefit of all. Oh, God, help us do that. Help us be like that in our heart and our mind in our homes, in our workplaces, wherever it is we are. Let us remember it is as you would have it. Oh, that's difficult. Ah, oh, it's difficult. But through you, by the empowering of the Holy Spirit, we can walk faithfully. We can submit to you. So we'll Be honored when we do, Lord. Crush us when we don't. That we might be like Christ in every way. For the glory of your great name we pray.